You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's podcast, I am very pleased to be here with Catherine Rush of Rush Rights and Associates. And Catherine is one of our most prolific landscape architects in Australia and has worked on so many major projects. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, Elizabeth. Now, before we go into some of your projects, which you've extensively used masonry in, I wonder whether you could talk a little bit about your childhood and growing up. Well, I'm actually a country girl, so I was born in Canberra, but my formative years were in Wagga Wagga and grew up in the 70s, so I'm a child of the 70s and have a brother, my parents and me and yeah, we lived on the outskirts of Wagga in the country and my mum and dad were great makers, so my dad built a boat from scratch once from plywood and my mother was this kind of like crazy interior decorator and she built all those tape courses where you go and make lampshades and I was a prolific sewer so like we were always making stuff and having these projects on the ball yes and they were both great gardeners and they had a hobby farm with these cows and sheep and and so on so yeah so I was brought up mostly in a non-urban existence in a landscape existence Yeah. yeah yeah and then when you went through school and everything did you know what you wanted to do uh, not really. So uh, I think it was year 11. I started to probably have ideas about I loved art at school and I was also great at mathematics and all the sciences. So I think it was always going to be something which combined the two kind of streams mm-hmm. and investigated lots of stuff like textile technology and fabric making. And so that was art and science. And then landscape architects was exposed to that probably through the Canberra College of Advanced Education. And my dad took me on these tours of different schools in year 11. So I went up to Sydney, went to Canberra, and they had this amazing design studio at the Canberra College there, which was like five layers of building designed by Roger Johnson. And yeah, landscape studio was at the top. And then there was the architects and industrial designers. And then, yeah, all these labs and stuff down the bottom. And I thought, well, I think I'll just go and study there because they were all such good people and the space was really fantastic. Did your dad know about that or was he just trying to explore things with you? Oh, no, he's just really organised. He said, well, if you want to do a tertiary course and we're going to, you know, fund those four years, he wanted me to make the right choice, obviously. So, yeah, we just go on these things and we looked at New South Wales Uni and went to the textile school there and went to the landscape school there because they were my two choices. Yes. And I just couldn't imagine myself living in Sydney at that time. Okay. <laughs> it was <a> too scary. <laughs> and um, when you started at the college, like, what was that like being there compared to your expectations? Yeah, so I felt the landscape school was really fantastic. They took us on bus tours all around the place. Like, we just got out there and explored the landscape mm-hmm. around Canberra. But then the pure design courses I was slightly intimidated by. They were just really abstract, kind of strange things they wanted us to do. And, yeah, I don't think I'd had the maturity at that point straight after school to understand a really clear way into projects. I just had too much going on in my head and too much excitement being away from home. (laughs) I think all of that is natural, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really know how to kind of 
articulate the best, the purest way into like design speak, really. I think there was a language that I just didn't understand. But gradually that changed and probably by third year, one of my great mentors is Professor James Warwick, who was the head of the Landscape Architecture School at New South for a while okay. and at RMIT. Yes. And he was a landscape history lecturer in Canberra and he also taught the thesis and other subjects. But yeah, he was a great teacher and like suddenly all my art history background just kind of came in and I went, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so now I understand where I'm going, I think. Okay. Yeah, and all the background from high school kind of came into play. And, yeah, and he was just one of those lecturers who just read individual students and knew what they might be particularly interested in. So he didn't kind of create generic landscape students. He was kind of going, well, you're interested in that. Why don't you go and have a look at these projects? And it's fascinating now just to hear about your textile interest because I do actually think that comes across a lot in your designs as well. Probably you've been told that before, but I hadn't realised it. Yeah, yeah. Like Greville Street was mm. one of those projects, which Mark Damien has worked on with me closely. But yeah, we were really into that sort of history of the street being a, like the vintage clothing mecca at one point in Melbourne. Yes. And exploring that facet of the history of that place and doing that through materials. Mm. And then, so you did your four years. Yeah. So, four years, so I moved to Sydney. And, yeah, so I took up a job there and that wasn't the greatest kind of job and I always got employed for my graphic skills a lot of the time, like the way I could represent landscape and draw. And I'd be doing covers for proposals, like, you know, as this big kind of entrance into the proposal world. And there was no computers in those times. We were just hand drawing and documenting by hand. And, and how then, was that for you? I mean, did you feel a bit disconnected to... Yeah, you? so every time, every kind of step out of what you were used to was a kind of step into new worlds, new people. Mm. And, yeah, so my first couple of jobs, I was kind of, okay, this is what landscape architecture is about in practice. And I think I was missing the kind of academic side of things. Mm. So I spent a couple of years in practice and then I went overseas to London to work and travel. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, by pure coincidence, I hooked up with some landscape architects from Melbourne and they've become my sort of lifelong friends and they formed a kind of entrance back into Melbourne landscape architecture and are teaching at RMIT. And so when I got back from London, I came straight here. Okay. And And just just when you were in London, like how was landscape treated differently over there or compared to Australia? Yeah, so I was working in London, working in Wapping Wall for... um, (laughs) I love that place. It took about three trains to get there every day. Walking yeah. Wall. Yeah, it's where all the news press were located. Yes. Yeah. So at that time, London, you know, the big Docklands area of yes. London was opening up. And so all the work that I was doing was related to that urban renewal work. Yes. And Australia hadn't done that. Like Melbourne was just about to go into it with their Docklands precinct. Yes. So when I came back from there, that was all happening. So I think they just had like London and Europe has sort of those great traditions and we weren't traveling locally because everywhere is so close to London. Yes. You just blink and you're at Stonehenge or somewhere really significant. <laughs> Or the Cotswolds or Was there some any great places place. in, in Europe or around in London that really became an inspiration for you or any landscape designers? Uh, it's probably more heading towards Europe and Italy. Yes. Yeah, and Spain actually, like going to Barcelona was... I don't know if you know the Mirror Museum in Barcelona, most incredible things, and actually going to see Gaudi's work. Yes. 
like they're the things that really stick out for me even just going to talks and stuff in London so yeah there was like a design centre on the river that mm. you go to talks yes and really just hanging out with other designers yeah we were just trying to make be impressive and make it all happen ourselves <laughs> and so you said you come you've come back with your Melbourne friends you came back to Melbourne uh, yeah. Yes. And then what was your next journey? The next journey was to work here, but also teach at RMIT part-time. So just running design studios. And I don't know if you were familiar with the RMIT design studio. They have like a vertical studio system where first years can study with fourth years and do projects together. Yes. And at the beginning of semester, you have to stand up and sell what your studio is going to be about. And okay. then they vote. Okay. <laughs> So the so first experience of that, like coming back and presenting. So at my first studio talk was called Redemption by Design and it was all about medieval space. Oh, wow. So that was quite fun. Yeah. And there's a whole group of mature age landscape students in first year. So I kind of hooked up with them too and Michael was part of that group. So anyway, so we've known each other since that time. Yes. And so, when did that come to, when did you and Michael? So that's 1990. Wow. And did you work together before working together? No, not before we got together. So I just knew his design work through the studio system. And then once he graduated, we went to teach at New South Uni and we taught design studios together. And, yeah, so we never actually worked on actual projects together until, yeah, yeah we did this, like, garden project for one of his old clients from Malden and yeah we drew this beautiful vegetable garden together on paper we made all these beautiful aviaries and structures and we actually made this crazy drawing together I think that's one of our first times we actually designed together and how would you I mean you've been together a long time as a partnership like how do you complement each other well the other day he said that he was a brawn and I was a brains but I don't think that's right um (laughs) I think it comes into play in different ways I think Michael's a great salesperson and I'm a really slower bigger thinker and I think I have complementary skills in just developing the kind of finer grain detail of projects whereas Michael is almost like big picture and like is there a project where you look back on in those early days and you think that that really was defining your direction as a practice well, the Shrine of Remembrance, mm. the courtyards at the Shrine of Remembrance, where we hooked up with ARM and we were asked to kind of deliver our landscape master plan for the Shrine Reserve, mm. which is under state legislation, and mm. so it wasn't an insignificant project no. <laughs> to work on. But we both had been working, living together in Scotland for a period of time, and we went to Turkey, and we were really inspired by all the ancient Greek-Turkish landscapes yeah. and ruins of that country. And so when we got to do the shrine project, you know, talking about Anzacs and yes. those traditions, mm-hmm. and it's really how the landscape could speak to those narratives that the shrine is trying to tell mm. in its redevelopment mm. and all those galleries of remembrance that have been opened up underneath. And the shrine was almost like, how do you make a ancient Greek temenos in the middle of the city mm. and are using all the oaks and pines and the great Australian native specimens, how they talk to each other in one beautiful reserve. Mm. And so then it was like, well, how can trees and plants tell stories? And that was the beginnings of thinking about how landscapes can get better with time, with age, rather than just being the next big best thing. Yeah. So that was really grounding certain principles for us. 
Yeah. And what do you think, with what you do, I mean, you've been involved in some several large sort of public domain projects. What do you think is people's biggest misconception around that, about landscape and public space? Like the initial discussions around projects is to, like you get a design brief, which is all very functional and got to deliver certain uses. Yes. And so part of it is refining a return brief. So yes. opening up the client's eyes in terms of what the project could be rather than what they think it should be. And that comes with winning projects too. So, I mean, a lot of these public projects, you have to go in with a team and make a pitch. Yes. <laughs> They do on the Gruen, <laughs> and um, we don't ever think about it like that. But sh- like what's going to set the team apart, and what client is going to, um, and how that relationship might build over time. So, like I was involved in this, but I remember when Michael was going for the Dandenong um, Civic Centre project with Lions, yes. and he went to the local Dandenong market, and he got all these crazy fruits and vegetables and weird stuff, and he collected them all and he put them on the table and like laid them out as part of the presentation yeah. and each of those selections of plants and fruit kind of talked to a particular community that were present in Daniel. Yeah. So you're trying to use those kind of tools. So we're dealing with living things and living cultures and things that don't stay static and you're dealing with symbols and, yeah, landscape can be really powerful because it bridges across mm. all sorts of things. So you know when you said that when the clients come to you with a brief and then you obviously go back with the first brief, Yep. What, what do you find is the most common thing that isn't considered in that, you know, original project brief from the client with regards to landscapes? I think it's really that we start from the perspective of what's best for trees. <laughs> like that's some okay. strange, you know, some strange way. Like a lot of firms, they're just into resolving the function of a space. It's almost like what we call inane pattern making or... Like the starting point for us is trees because they're the things that are going to grow and you have to sustain them. And they're the things that establish significantly the character. A lot of companies don't start with that. They start with, I don't know, the plan view. So, for instance, at the shrine, the starting point was to transplant in this amazing, beautiful olive specimen into the courtyard. Mm. And it was just 50 metres away and it needed a giant crane to go plonk and it was the legacy tree. And been sitting there saying, want a place to live yes <laughs> not sort of on the the down slope away from the shrine it just wanted to be front and center and it was this gorgeous gnarly specimen and it was like the instant landscape and then when we did the other courtyard which is on the south side mm. the starting point was how do we transplant in these great ficus specimens yeah. and give them this beautiful home in amongst these gorgeous in situ plants so I guess like what I'm hearing is the trees set the tone for you about what the design is A lot, a lot of the time is like what can you plant in this space? That's a really critical starting point. And then there's the other one is what are the ideas that are going to inform this place long term and set the criteria for how you evolve the design? So if you don't set up the criteria first out, all these ideas can come in and they're not appropriate. Yes. <laughs> or all these different details that people might suggest along the way and you think, no, 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 it's just going to kind of corrode the idea. But, so it's sort of the subterranean stuff that has to go into making a project successful as well. So there's these gorgeous like engineering details, which how do you design a great tree pitch? <laughs> you don't actually see that. All you see is the evidence of a great healthy tree. That's right. And we've, you know, had a great privilege working with some great architects and they have the habit of not pushing you in a certain direction but pushing you to not be happy with the first thing you think of. Yeah. 
and that's a very expensive thing to do sometimes <laughs> commercially. But when I was at Disney, they always used to talk about tension is good. You know, tension between programming and you know marketing is good because you always build something better. And yeah. I think it's that's yeah. true too here in a creative space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we can. That's really good having say this architectural library yeah. in front of us and knowing where architecture is coming from too. Yeah. So it's really important just to know or have the conversation with the architects yes. and then knowing when to stand your ground and saying I'm not going to give in on that bit. You've used a lot of obviously masonry in your landscape designs. Yeah. So why, why is that? That's the thing about landscapes getting better with age because you can't do it with other materials sometimes. Like the masonry products, they age well, they have great colour fastness, so they can withstand all that UV. You get, you know, the great colour selections. They're made of earth, they're made of landscape. So sometimes they're the starting point and there's great flexibility with how you can use them. You really use them. I mean, when you blend a lot of your projects, you're really using a lot of different colours. You know, that's the biggest standout. That's the... Yeah, and we don't want to try and do that over and over anymore. But yes, yeah, using the colour as these great panels like at Dadinong, yes. almost like they become these beautiful welcome mats or mm. giant carpets. So that's one way we think about using them. Yeah. And then they've got this beautiful frame around them so they kind of capture the richness of the brick. Yeah. So you contrast the, I think in Dadinong, it's like a different contrasting stone yeah. or granite. It was, I, I remember when you first got that entry, it was just like, wow. All of your entries have this kind of impact. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one device or one way that you could order the colour. And then for the geology garden at Monash, it's really like a geology map just abstracted on the ground. And then for, I think it's Springville. Yes. Which galaxy or nebula or something. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, but that's all generated through a program that some of our staff use called Grasshopper. So in a previous life, some poor person in our office had to manually code up each paver to be a certain colour on the CAD plans. Yes. And then now there's a program you can use, which is about doing that through like script. And it turns out the kind of pattern based on a scan and and how much diversity or how many colours it will use. That's one sort of input into this program. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we've done this with other things like the on West Side Place. Yeah, you can do it the way that you structure surfaces and articulate the panelling and how many different panels you want. And was there anything that surprised you over the years with brick and masonry? Well, just in terms of attending the awards, like I, I just love seeing, um, like one of the great surprises was the use of tiles as elements that weren't roofs. Okay, yes. Yeah, so I love that. I love that capacity of how materials that are designed for one thing can be used as another. Yes. I think architects love doing that, you know, like they do try to push a material to its nth degree. Other surprises. Now we're going to go into, we call them the rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, and any answer is acceptable. Yes. So reading the news, a newspaper or online? A newspaper. Handwriting or typing? Handwriting. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen or e-pen? A pen. Do you like to read books or listen to audio? Read. What is important to you, style or substance? Substance. Coffee or tea? Coffee. TV shows or movies? Movies. Antique or brand new? Antique. Call or text? I think 
text, actually. Okay. Travel back in time or into the future? Back in time. Exterior or interior? Exterior. You're going to have to say that. (laughs) Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function? Form. Complex or simple with relation to design? Uh, Complex. Catherine, we are looking forward to having you on our jury. So thank you very much for participating today and for everything you've done for masonry in landscape architecture. That's not a problem. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. It was fun. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, There's a link in our show notes to let us know.